Do you really love the Lord? I... <laughs> Thank you, my son. <laughs> How much do you love the Lord? You ever ask your little child when, when they were like two or three or four? Or maybe you're at this age in your life, your grandchild. How much do you love me? You ever see him go, I love you this much, right? How does that make you feel? Oh, it breaks you. It just breaks you. But how much do you really love the Lord? And does he know that? You know, many of us will say, Lord, I love you. More than I can show you with my hands, I love you. But then when things start to turn in one's life, can you continue to say that? I'm sorry to say there's some in this world who have said yes to the Lord, I want your salvation. And then when things start to turn upside down, they start to say, and not only just say it, but say, Lord, why? Why this? You know, where are you? Okay, now, hear what I'm really saying. I'm not saying that those thoughts should never enter into the minds of a good Christian, because they will. We're made of flesh, and they will. But they never should take hold where we believe that God has left us. There's a verse... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans 8.28 says, and this is a life verse for so many people, that, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Each one here is called according to the purpose of God. Each one of you. You couple that verse with a verse in 2 Timothy 1 and 9, and he says, For it is he who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Think about that. Before God even created this world, he knew you. He knew me. And he called you and he called me to a holy purpose, his purpose. Before the world began. Praise hallelujah. <laughs> Before the world began. How much do you love the Lord? Listen to what Jesus said to one of the teachers of the Lord, of the, of, of the law. When asked... Which is the most important commandment? And you find this in Mark chapter 12. 
And I'm going to read a little before and a little after. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 28, Then one of the scribes came and listened to them, disputing with one another, and noticing that Jesus answered them fitly and admirably, he asked him, Which commandment is the first and most important of all? Is it in its nature? And Jesus answered the first and principal one of all commands is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your whole heart and out of and with all your whole soul, your life, and out of and with all your mind, your faculty, thought, and your moral understanding, and out of and with all your strength. And this is the first and principal commandment. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. The second is likened unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That doesn't leave out much room if you're to love the Lord with all of your heart. And all of your mind. And all of your soul. Last September, Carol and I, wave your hand. Those who don't, no, raise it. Carol and I were married 45 years. Believe me, to God be the glory. 45 years she's put up with me. God opened up a door. It'll be 40 years this coming August for us to move into the home that we live in today. I could tell you stories, miraculous stories of how he provided what he did, but that's for maybe another day. But in that home, when we moved in, we called all the friends that we knew, and we held a little service, and we dedicated that home to the Lord. We have witnessed many, and I mean many people, come to the Lord in that house. Some have gone on and become ministers of the gospel. We had a couple who, when we first met them, no one would ever have told us that they would even become saved, number one. And number two, to go on to such a powerful ministry that they have today. About seven or eight years ago, they started a grassroots church around the belt in Washington, D.C. And today they're still very active in the ministry. But so many people, we've watched and we've seen their lives changed by the power of God because we gave that home to him first. You see, Christ comes first. And all the, those, we used to have Friday night meetings, Thursday night meetings. There was a time when we had Wednesday night meetings. We, we've had home group meetings in our home off and on for over 40 years. One thing has always been consistent 
And we've shared this with so many people there in our home, both myself and my wife. And we've stood before them and we've told them that Carolyn is not first in my life. And she has said, Sam is not first in my life. Jesus Christ is first in our life. It's a funny thing that takes place when you put Christ number one. All your relationships horizontally just blow up. They are just so far and above your expectations. It's unbelievable. When he became number one in our life, I experienced a love relationship with my wife that I could never have achieved before. Never. We need to get our vertical priorities straight first. And then we can horizontally love one another. That's why he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we get that straight, God can work miracles, miraculous miracles in our life. Just to emphasize that, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 10. Verses 37 and 38, and Jesus himself makes it plain. He says, he who loves, and again, I'm reading from the Amplified, or takes more pleasure in father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves or takes more pleasure in son or daughter, and you can add husband or wife, you can add grandchildren, if they come before your relationship with him, you're not worthy of him. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me or cleave steadfastly to me, conforming wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying also, is not worthy of me. It's in him we live and we breathe and we have our being, is it not? So no one, no thing can ever take his place in your life or you're not worthy of him. And I believe that's what one of the things with our primary scripture here today is, is in St. John chapter 21. Verses 15 to 17, where Jesus approaches Peter with a question. And I believe he's trying to get Peter, because Jesus didn't have to ask Peter this question. But he wanted Peter to understand the gravity of his relationship with him. And reading from the New Living Translation, it says, And after breakfast... Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by Jesus asking him a third time. You see, the same question. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The amplified, and and going back to the Greek, it's interesting to me, and I am not a Greek scholar, not like Joe, okay? But in researching, we find that Jesus used the word, two different words for the word feed in this short discourse course. One was was a Greek word, bosco, which means to let people uh, feed off of you. Uh, uh, That word means to pasture or to graze, to allow others to feed off of you. And then, and that's in verses 15 and 17, but in verse 16, he changes the word. It's translated feed, but he changes the word to a word uh, that is poimaino. Poimaino. I told you I couldn't speak Greek. Poimaino. And that word comes from the root word poimane, and it means to shepherd. Or to pastor. And it's interesting, he says first, he says, feed my lambs, which means to let my little ones feed off of your life. In other words, let them see your life. Let them imitate your life. Let them be fed in knowing that if they follow you, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. If I follow you, then they will be fed and they will remain healthy and strong. And that's in verses 15 and 17, but in the middle there, his commandment is to shepherd or to pastor my sheep. To look after their needs. Feed my sheep. It's your life that your children will feed on. They will see how you act and react in circumstances. When things go bad, they will see how you react. They will see just how strong your faith is when everything seems to turn upside down. And it will. Things just have a way of doing just that, turning upside down. It's interesting also that he says, uh, feed my sheep three different times. Three different times he asks Peter, do you love me? 
Well, if you recall, earlier on, Peter had denied him three times. So Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understood what his calling was, how his life ought to be. Yes, he knew that Peter was going to deny him, but he also knew that Peter deep down loved him, and he knows where we are, and he knows our frailties. And he's not a God to whip us into submission, but he's a God to bring us around to understanding the depth of love that he first had for us, for, for God so loved that he gave. He didn't so love until we gave. If it was that way, many of us would never have given Jesus wanting Peter to know the gravity of the type of love that he required of him. More than these. You know, what do you think he was referring to? Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these he's talking about? Well, commentators have narrowed down to three different possibilities. One, Peter was a fisherman. And fishermen who fish for a living tend to be, you know, pretty strong-minded, strong-willed, and even physically strong, okay? Peter loved to fish. Earlier that same uh, day and the day before, Peter left and was going fishing, and and, uh, uh, the rest of the disciples decided they'd go with him. So he was a natural leader as well. So one of the things could have meant, Peter, do you love me more than going fishing? Now for us today, he could say, Sam, do you love me more than golf? Right, Bob? He could say, Sam, do you love me, and I like to fish, do you love me more than going fishing? Do you love me more than... Whatever recreation, vacationing, visiting other places, do you love me more than those? That may have been, but I don't really think that was really what it was. Maybe it was, Peter, do you love me more than the company you're keeping? More than the other disciples? Do you love me more than you love them? Well, that would be a good question, but I... Again, I don't quite think that was what he was saying. Remember earlier, Peter had said, Lord, though all would turn away, I won't. And that was just before Jesus said to him, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You say, but no, Lord, I'll never deny you, though all of those other disciples would deny you and when things would go wrong, I'll never deny you. I think he was saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than they love me? Do you love me more than than than?" He loves me or she loves me and 
more than that pastor loves me, more than that congregation loves me? Do you love me more than them? And I think he wanted to get Peter to understand that the depth of his love for him needed to be without any bounds, without even thinking that there is a limit. And he asked us the same question. Sam, do you love me more than Billy does or more than Joe does or more than Heather does or more? Do you love me more than they do? Well, in reality, it may not be, but my efforts are, yes, Lord. That's in my heart. I love you unconditionally. I love you with my whole heart. See, I think one of the things that Christ was trying to do to Peter is to break his pride. See, he pridefully was saying, Lord, I I love you more than any of those people. I love you, and I'll never turn my back on you, no matter what happens. Not that he really wanted to destroy him on the inside, but he wanted Peter to be a little more humble with the way he was carrying on, you see. Let's never forget the physical makeup and the mental makeup of Peter. To have Jesus-style leadership takes a spirit of broken, of pride, linked to God, and tender toward others. It's a gift to desire to serve people. Make no mistake. That's a gift that only God can really give. If your desire, because sometimes people are just stinky. (laughs) And if your desire is to serve, you cannot allow that to shortchange what God wants you to do in their life. You've got to love them as he loved us unconditionally, without any reservation, no matter what they've done to you, in the past. Just love them. That's where Jesus was trying to get Peter focused on. Three times he asked that question, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes, Lord. Jesus asked the same question of us, as I said, more Do you love him more than your bank account? Do you love him more than your loved ones, your father, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandkids? More than what you do for recreation, more than any of the material things, do you love him? Number one, question. What if God allowed all those things to suddenly leave your life. How many people you know who just in the last year or two all of a sudden have become destitute financially with no money, 
losing their homes that they've lived in for decades, some of them. Not able to put food on their table. What if God were to do you like he allowed Job to walk through? Could you still say, Lord, I still love you? I think only you can answer that in your own heart, and only I can answer that in my own heart. Because, especially the hunger thing, when it drives you, it, it causes you to do and to feel a lot of pain. And who knows what would cause you to do. But it could happen. And it could happen to the best of us. Those who have been working in a ministry even. It could happen to it. Because in Psalms 34, 19, David records this verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he didn't leave there. He went on to say that same verse. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Hallelujah. Many of the afflictions you will go through. And in my life and in my married life and even before, I can share with you a list that's two or three pages long of the things that God has walked us through, my wife and I. My son David, at age 21, full of life, had his own job, in the early part of 1996, drove home and said, Dad, look what I got. And he drove home with a brand new car that I didn't even know he could afford. But he bought it because he was working on his own. He was living on He was living with us, but he was able to financially take care of his business. And before that year was out, in July of that year, he was placed in a hospital where he spent the next five months. He got to the place where he could not walk, couldn't talk. He was incontinent. You know, people had to do everything for him. He couldn't even swallow right. He lost over 100 pounds in those five months in the hospital. And you see him today. Well, the doctors, when he was released in December... Number one, it took them about four months to even diagnose what had happened to him. They told us that it was like his brain had an atomic bomb go off. And his brain had been attacked by a virus. Nothing he had done, it just, it's the world we live in. And it can happen to any one of us. That's how blessed we are. But praise God, he's, he's with us today, he's still here and no, he can't hold down a regular job, but God's provided for him. That was in 96. During the time he was in the hospital, I lost my father to his battle with cancer. The afflictions of the righteous. I don't call myself right, righteous. He does. He calls you righteous. Why? Because he sees you Behind his son. When he looks at you, he sees his son. 
And that filters out all the negativity in our life. He calls you righteous. In 1997, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was working full time and during the next six or seven months, I forget how long, I know there was 34 treatments. She would work a full day, walk through her lunch hour, get in her car and drive to Philadelphia to Fox Chase, have her radiation treatment and come home. And two days later, do it all over again. 34 treatments she went through. And God allowed her to go through and allowed me to go through it with her in order to show his mercy and his grace in our life. In 2005, that same woman woke up in the middle of the night, Father's Day morning, 2005. She had such pain in her brain. It was unbearable. Her eyes were starting to roll back. We called 911. She was taken to Princeton Hospital. They worked on her for two hours and said, we can't do anything. You need to go to another hospital. Do we have our your permission to airlift her to Jefferson in Philadelphia. And I said, of course. They took her by helicopter, took her there. As soon as she got there, they put her into an induced coma for the next day or so, where that Monday she underwent the first of six brain operations. She knew nothing about it the first time because she was in that induced coma. It was only her and the Lord. God is so, so special, so precious. Six brain operations, the first of five, they went up through the groin. That was like sci-fi stuff. And at no time during that time did I ever feel as though God had left us. I, I didn't think about it. It was just, I knew Whatever happened to her, she was in the Lord's hands. She was in the Lord's hands. In the last three years, you know, there's been other issues with her, but even with me, uh, I am today a cancer survivor. Praise God. A year ago, I had just completed 28 radiation treatments. And at no time during that time was I ever anxious. The word says, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, give him praise. That was a paraphrase, but that's what it's saying. Be anxious for nothing. And all during that time, God would not allow me to be anxious. Don't let Satan put doubt in your heart and your mind that God loves you. He does. And he will allow you to go through. Remember Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. All things are not good. But all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord and those who are the called according to his purpose. And each one of you are. And also never forget 1 Corinthians 10.13. 
And the word goes, no temptation hath taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will allow you to be tempted, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will, with the temptation, always, always, always provide for you a way of escape that you should be able to bear it. There's some life verses there that we need to pin and to write on the doorsteps of our hearts. No temptation has taken you, but such is common. We think when we go through things, Lord, why me? Why me? But no. If you just look around you, you'll see so many more who just love the Lord, who have gone through, and maybe even be going through at that time, some of the same things you are going through. God is no respecter of persons. The Apostle Paul encouraged the Philippian church in Philippians 1.6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you invited Jesus into your heart, that's when the work begins. And he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until you stand face to face with him in glory. Trust him for that. God's at work conforming us to the image of his son. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote this verse, this in Psalm 116. Beginning at verse 1, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me and the terror of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, his, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. Skipping a couple verses down to verse 12. And if you don't get anything else from today, get this and hold on to it and ask the Lord this. What can I offer the Lord for all that he's done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises or my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That was David. How about if we all would do that 
You know, when you come to the Lord, you say, Lord, if you just save me, I'll be this way. I'll never do this again. I'll do this and I'll do that. And we make vows to the Lord. We make promises to him. Five days later, some of us have even forgotten what we just vowed. But how good would it be if we keep even just the promises that we make to the Lord? How blessed and how pleased God would be if we just did that. Know this, that God is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. So seek the Lord with your whole heart. And trust the Lord in every situation you find yourself in. Trust him. In Proverbs it says, trust and obey. Because he's working in you. And out of you, the image of his son. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at these scriptures, Father, we know how short we come. We internalize these situations and we know, Lord God, it's only by your grace and your mercy. Father, we ask.